Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. This is John Middlecoff from 3 and Out with John Middlecoff. Superchargers, headlights, and more. With over 122 million parts, eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Stay on your A-game with all the parts you need at the prices you want. It's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Welcome everybody back into Nerd Sesh. As always, I'm Carson Grabber and alongside me is Logan Camden. And today we are going to be breaking down everything that we saw on this week three NFL Sunday, starting with the Sunday night game, Logan, where your Pittsburgh Steelers escaped against the lowly Las Vegas Raiders after a very questionable coaching decision from Josh McDaniels. So what do you take away from this game? Typical Josh McDaniels L. What a foolish decision, dude. If we're starting there, one, I don't think the Steelers escaped. I think the Raiders got lucky they were able to make it close. Some bad calls there by the refs late. That's one of the softest uh, late QB hits or uh, roughing the passer calls I've ever heard. First of all, for people who just started watching the league, I mean, 15, 10 years ago, that's not called at all. Like, if you made a sack, a sack was not going to get called as a roughing the passer uh, penalty, period. This one, absolutely abysmal. Now we'll call it, even if you do sack the guy, but it's normally when you put your full body weight on them. I didn't think the contact with the helmet was that bad, and I didn't. Minka obviously doesn't put his body weight down on Jimmy G. I thought that was a bad call. Refs kind of keep him in it late, but, I mean, just a foolish decision by McDaniels. I understand trusting your defense to make a play, but with that much time left on the clock, you have to go get points and put the pressure on the Pittsburgh Steelers to go down there and get points, especially when you have big-time playmakers like Devontae Adams and Josh Jacobs. But, you know, Carson, I think this game reinforces a lot of things that we already knew about the Las Vegas Raiders. Josh McDaniels is not going to be in town long. I think this is his last season with the team. They're just dysfunctional. They can't ever find a rhythm. This defense still sucks. The secondary got torched tonight. I thought the Honestly, with how bad the Steelers' offense has been, I thought the Raiders' defense kind of got the dog walked on them with what the, you know, what I expected to see out of them. I mean, the Raiders' defense isn't good, but the Steelers' offense has been even worse to start this uh, season. And then I think we realized that Jimmy G's just not that guy, man. 
you can give Jimmy G the world, dude. I think he's got an average offensive line here, and he's got two of the best skill position players in football. I know that Josh Jacobs hasn't been off to a great start here. And he fed the ball to Devontae Adams, but when Devontae wasn't open, I mean, there's nothing else. He looked scared back there in the pocket. He couldn't create. And, I mean, he has all those turnovers here tonight, put the ball in a bunch of precarious positions that ultimately cost the Raiders. I don't know, Carson. I mean, you and I were pretty low on the Raiders coming into the season. I thought the Raiders were going to be the worst team in all of football, save the Cardinals, who somehow come away with a victory here today against the Dallas Cowboys. What a game that was. I still think the Raiders are the worst team in the AFC. I don't think Jimmy G is a guy that you can win football games with uh, without great surroundings around him. And I think this Raiders defense still sucks. I think that they're still one of the worst teams in the AFC. And the Steelers' defense played really well tonight, man. This is kind of what I expected. Uh, they dominated. T.J. Watt got a lot of pressure on the quarterback. This pass rush was awesome. They're still going to be without Cam Hayward, it looks like, for uh, until basically half the season. Uh, but I was really impressed with this secondary tonight. Outside of Patrick Peterson not turning his head around on that fourth down where they uh, run that play-action fake for the touchdown, I thought the secondary played a tremendous game, the best one that I've seen so far this year. Everybody. Levi Wallace with two picks in this game. Peterson gets him one. I thought Joey Porter Jr. had another stellar game. I don't really have any big takeaways from this game. I thought this was a better offensive performance from Matt Canada and Kenny Pickett. Uh, I thought this was another great game from the Steelers' defense, which I've come to expect, and I still think that the Raiders are one of the worst teams in all of football. Yeah, the Raiders are very, very bad, as expected, and the McDaniels' decision is completely incomprehensible because... You have an opportunity like that. First of all, gift wrapped to you by the penalty. You're inside the 10 on fourth and four. It is a no-brainer that you go for it because if you take the field goal, not only do you then need to force a three and out as one of the worst defenses in football, which they failed to do, you then still need to score a touchdown with two minutes to go and a timeout, one, now driving the full length of the field with your also below average offense. So, it was just an absurd lack of situational awareness, indefensible. I think the McDaniels is very bad in terms of in-game management. I also think that the Raiders culture has been off for years. That predates McDaniels tenure, but this team is in for a brutal season and Jimmy is clearly not the answer. Not that he was ever intended to be. I think that he was brought into Vegas as a bridge quarterback, but there are definitely some out there who thought he might be an upgrade over Derek Carr because he earned this reputation as a winner because he has won a high percentage of his games as a starter when overwhelmingly he has been playing with some of the most talented rosters in football with the exception of that 2017 season where that team really was bad when Jimmy wasn't out there. If you're looking at the Super Bowl run, if you're looking at last season, he's playing with elite defenses, elite skill position talent, the best offensive mind in football. And last year, they got better without him bringing in Mr. Irrelevant because he is offering you nothing in terms of creation. He is a limited arm talent, but he also will kill you. He will stick that dagger into his own side with the mistakes. He's already thrown six picks through three weeks this year, Logan. So this offense is going to continue to struggle, especially if they can't establish the run game more consistently. Obviously, they were completely shut down against Buffalo in that respect and the defense is going to just continue to be piss poor and the Steelers offense did look better today 
I thought that Kenny looked better today. I thought that he was more comfortable. I thought that there were some more simplified reads for him, some more quick, effective play action stuff where they were able to move the ball downfield. And I thought that he put the ball into less jeopardizing positions in this game. It is the Raiders' defense, so it's not exactly deserving of a victory lap, and this game still came down to the last couple minutes, but it was a sign of improvement. But what continues to stand out to me that is concerning about the Steelers' offense, obviously so much of the focus has been on Matt Canada's poor play calling and Kenny Pickett and his concerning lack of progress from year one to two, but they just continue to struggle the ball, continue to struggle to run the ball effectively. And I thought that this was a game in which we repeatedly saw Najee Harris swarmed in the backfield. We've talked about his lack of explosion, his lack of real high-level agility making guys miss. He's just not a very good starting NFL running back whatsoever. And you do see Jalen Warren get a little more action in this game, but I don't know how much this was on him versus this line getting outplayed in terms of the run game by a not-so-great Raiders defensive front. So that is concerning. As we've talked about, a young quarterback would like to lean on a great run game and a great offensive mind. Those things can really help elevate him, and Kenny doesn't have either of those things working in his favor. So there's a couple bright spots offensively. They actually had an explosive play with the Calvin Austin touchdown, which was a miracle, but I don't feel better about the Steelers after this game. I feel the same, that this is a good defense, a dominant pass rush led by TJ Watt, who is certainly up there for the best defensive player on the planet, but it's a very limited offense, and because of that, they're just not going to make any noise this season. No, they have a severe handicap with this offense, Carson. You're exactly right, and I want to elaborate on that point, too. You know, I don't think the Steelers' offense is devoid of talent. I think they're devoid of creativity, right? I think you've got playmakers all over the field. Pratt Fryermuth is an awesome target when they can scheme him open. Deontay Johnson is a great number two. Uh, granted, DJ wasn't out here tonight. Allen Robinson is an awesome number three. I think George Pickens has the talent to be a bona fide number one. And I still believe in Najee Harris, Carson. I think there's... I think it's a bunch of compounding factors coming into why Najee can't run the ball. I think that you're right. I don't think Najee is as explosive as he was in his first two seasons. Frankly, as a Steeler fan, having watched Najee for however many consecutive games now, Najee has not been as explosive as he once was since that ankle injury last year. But also, there's something else that I've said to you, I've said to my dad, I said it in the group chat tonight. I think Najee Harris has to lose some weight, man. I know that we want Najee to be this big power back, and we've seen guys like Derrick Henry... Uh, the true freaks uh, of the NFL that can dominate at that weight at 6'3", 245 pounds. Najee Harris is 6'1", 245 pounds, and I think that is severely hampering him from exploding out of the backfield. When Le'Veon Bell came into the NFL out of Michigan State, he was 6'2", 245 pounds. Within a year, he was 225 pounds, and it was astounding. He gained so much agility, so much bounce, so much He's just so much lighter on his feet. Now, I don't know if we're going to see that kind of turnaround from Najee if he drops that weight, but I think that's something that he has to look into. Or I think you're right, Carson. I think his days are numbered as a starting running back. And the only difference I'll say is that defense is no one running the ball, but he doesn't explode out of the backfield. When you see a guy like Jalen Warren, who is this small, who can just boom right out of the gates, pound through a hole, it just leaves you wondering what is going on differently with Najee Harris. I think there are different things that the Steelers can do. I've been saying this for two years now. Jesus Christ, Matt Canada, can we hire a fullback? Can we run a little eye formation maybe? Can we get a a guy in front of Najee to help him lead the way? 
I haven't seen a fullback in a Steelers offensive play in years, man. I think that's something that we could explore, but I do think the primary issue is with Najee. It's either his ankle, it's a weight issue, and it's also the offensive line getting a relative lack of push on plays. But again, when Jalen Warren is coming in and getting us four-plus yards of carry and exploding out of the backfield for positive gains, it leaves you wanting more. But I think you're exactly right, Carson. After this game, I do not feel any differently about my Pittsburgh Steelers. We're severely hampered offense creatively. We've got talent. we got to figure out how to use that talent as the season goes along. And this defense is great. So I think that there's still a a very hard ceiling on what the Steelers can do this season without drastic offensive improvement. And obviously you don't see a lot of fullbacks around the NFL today, period. But a lot of teams are trading in that power element for more creativity in the passing game, more pre-snap motion, having more potential playmakers out on the field at any time, going more spread formations. And the Steelers' passing attack obviously hasn't been super effective. So... They really just don't have an offensive identity, right? They can't rely on the power run game. They don't have the uh, requisite talent at quarterback right now, I fear, or the exceptionally creative offensive mind to make things gel there. So it's just a, a very limited offense. But a not-so-limited offense, Logan, is that of the LA Chargers, who were able to finally win a football game, and they did it against the only other team that is perhaps equally cursed that being the minnesota vikings so a battle of two and two teams both of whom were in the playoffs last year who had higher expectations than this what did you take away from chargers vikings man beautiful transition and extremely well thank put, you carson i cannot think of two more franchises that are oh, just stuck in purgatory man it seems like the chargers just can lose in any fashion and the vikings are in that same boat they also have kirk cousins at quarterback uh Shout out Kirk, though, man. You want to hear a funny stat, Carson? This is from sure. Pick 6 on Instagram. Kirk Cousins right now is on pace for over 6,000 yards and 51 touchdowns <laughs> and, and no wins. Uh, I like bagging on Kirk Cousins. I think he tends to disappear in big games. But the start to this season has not been on him. It has been on this Minnesota Vikings defense completely. And finally, we see the Chargers win a game where we can give some roses uh, to Justin Herbert without getting pushback from those people who are just Herbert haters, man. It's just their agenda to to push back on Herbert. I love the kid, man. He is... Justin Herbert is so freaking special, dude. I think he's he's so clearly, to me, a top-four QB in the NFL, and anybody that says otherwise just needs to watch. I think it's this game is just a testament to Herbert, especially with what they got out of the running game. 11 carries for 12 yards, and I just thought the Chargers did such a masterful job of supplementing the rushing game with the short passing game. It kept the Vikings in jail for the rest of this game, when they threw that screen pass, uh, obviously you see the big play to Keenan Allen where they throw that screen pass and he throws that bomb to Mike Williams for the touchdown. It just leaves the defense guessing the rest of the game by setting that up, and it keeps the clock moving. It's something that I think other teams who can't run the ball or struggle to run the ball with talent out uh, that they need to adopt. Obviously, Eckler out of this game, and again, it doesn't matter, but Herbert makes plays. He goes 40 of 47 in this game, 405 yards with three touchdowns. Uh, he has a six scramble in this game. He's got a dot on a corner route to Keenan Allen. Uh, the RPO TD to pair him. He throws two beautiful deep balls to Mike Williams. Uh, he evades pressure late to hit Keenan Allen on the run to the left. He converts a third and 17. I mean, Herbert just made plays consistently. And the only throw he doesn't make is that TD on the left side to Josh Palmer, where it bounces off of the cornerback. 
That was really the only throw I thought in this game that he didn't make. And I want to give a, a big shout-out to 6'8 tight end Donald Parham. Carson, did you see that play in the red zone where Herbert steps up? I swear he threw that ball like 60 miles an hour, five yards away from Parham. I have no idea how Donald Parham held on to that football. Props to him, dude. That was a rocket uh, out of Herbert's arm. Uh, to me, maybe to some fans who hate on Justin Herbert, who are Herbert haters, maybe this is a, a big difference to them. Oh, Herbert played great and they won. To me, there's no difference. This is a high-powered offense. This is a high-octane offense. They have been for three years running with Herbert at the helm. To me, the big difference is what we see out of this defense, and this defense still, to me, leaves a lot to be desired. The pass rush looked good. They got four sacks versus Kirk. Uh, they were 4-14 of 14, uh, on third downs. They forced the Vikings offense. They forced them to be 1-4 in the red zone. But still, they allowed 130 rushing yards in this game on 24 attempts. That's over 5 yards a carry. Their defense is still massively susceptible to shot plays, which is a killer. Uh, that's the big takeaway to me. Is I mean, we've talked about this through two weeks. The Chargers just repeatedly get burnt on big plays. You got a crosser to Jettas, a deep shot left to Jettas, a play-action shot over the middle to Hawkinson, an Osborne crosser on fourth down, and, of course, the last brutal one to take the lead late in this game, a Jefferson 50-plus-yard touchdown. But Carson, if they could clean up shot plays, I think this could be a decent defense like not great I still think there's room but this is a good pass rush this is a talented secondary they just can't stop the big plays from killing them like I legitimately think that this Chargers team could make a playoff push could maybe win a playoff game or two if they could just clean up those shot plays but I have seen over 15 plays of 20 plus yards with my eyes from this Chargers defense that they've allowed through three weeks that to me is the biggest red flag on this team Congrats to them. They beat the Vikings. I, I, they, again, they executed well in big spots, in third downs, in the red zone, and getting a pass rush home. Uh, I'm not going to have faith or buy in onto this team uh, until the Chargers can show me that they can slow down teams from having these big plays because they are going to come back and bite them. Uh, they have through three weeks, and it almost came back to bite them in this game. And I think despite the Chargers win, you can basically key on, on everything wrong with this team on one play, and that was their decision to go for it on fourth and one from their own 24. Because, first of all, the message there is that we do not have any faith in our defense to get a stop, not needing to prevent the team from scoring at all because they were up four. All they need to do was keep the Vikings from getting a touchdown. There would be a minute 40 seconds left on the clock, one timeout, or no, no timeouts, and you can't trust your defense to do that. But the decision to go for it in a situation like that, obviously it's become more popular in recent years, and you can effectively end the game if you convert there, but it's very risky because you're almost guaranteeing an, oppo an opposing team scoring if you don't get it. But it's one thing to go for it if you have a great play call there, or if you have a run game that has been successful that game, or that you believe in that's been successful in the past, and the Chargers do not have either of those things. As you mentioned, I mean, it was a brutal day for them on the ground. Their running backs attempted 13 rushes for a total of 19 yards. They're without their best running back in Austin Eckler for the second straight week. Last year, this was the number 30 rushing offense in terms of yards and yards per attempt. So you don't have the running game to rely on. You don't have a creative play call whatsoever. You go for it in a spot that frankly doesn't make sense, but you are also driven to do that because your defense is that bad. So 
If they weren't playing the equally cursed Vikings, they probably would have been punished for that. And congrats to them for actually making a defensive play to seal this game. But I did not like that decision from Brandon Staley. And it felt like a representation of what continually puts the Chargers in these spots where they play great games offensively and they just have these gaffes. They have these slip-ups, especially on the defensive end, these errors that just cost them. I do think, though, that this was a basically perfect game from Justin Herbert, and I honestly think it might be the best game that we've seen from any quarterback all year. He was getting blitzed like crazy and consistently dissecting those looks. He made no mistakes, not just in terms of not turning the ball over, but really putting the ball in danger at all, and he made some of those big-time tight window throws, great timing and accuracy, and they still almost lost this game. It's just miraculous. I don't see Brandon Staley keeping his job for much longer. He's basically known for two things, that being the aggression offensively in these go-for-it situations driven by analytics, and I don't want to overreact to one instance, but we've seen uh, some poor decisions there bite them in the past repeatedly in his tenure, and this is a defensive guy who has consistently trotted out horrible defenses, and their splashy personnel signings there have not been successful whatsoever jc jackson who they thought was going to be a stud who they paid big money gets benched week one is a healthy scratch for this game logan and the entire secondary is just burnt toast man so i don't feel better about the Vi uh, about the chargers after this game because i know that herbert is incredible but everything else feels the same and the vikings are honestly the exact same story like this is what we knew that they would be they had a lot of success throwing the football because they have unbelievable weapons with Jettas, who is producing at a level week to week that we've really never seen before. Jordan Addison is awesome. TJ Hawkinson is a very, very good tight end. And Kirk is, for the most part, going to play at an above-average quarterback level. They have been bit this year by terrible turnover luck. But again, they're just a team that you can't trust to generate stops. It was one of the worst defenses in football last year, and I think that it remains one of the weaker defenses in football this year, and they were just getting burnt by a great quarterback and a great passing attack, but it's a very poor defense. So they were a very clear regression candidate because of how fortunate they were in a lot of their wins last year, and that has come back in a big way. I do not think they're a playoff team. The Chargers still have the path to that because of their offensive brilliance, I mean, this is an offense that's putting up 29 points per game. They are gaining the second most yards per game in football, only to the untouchable Miami Dolphins right now. So the path is still there, but they just can't charge her too much. And they came very, very close to doing that in this game, but they luckily had the Vikings Viking. To charge her. I'm going to break that one out, Carson. I think I'm going to use that one, man. They've earned it, dude. 20 years of this. Very true. I, dating back to, to my favorite QB ever, Phillip Rivers, man. Shout out. Yeah. And yeah, I, I think the Vikings are in the same boat too, dude. An explosive offense. I mean, again, bro, they, they run the hell out of the ball in this game. Kirk plays a really great game. Their defense just sucks. I, I think, a, I honestly think these teams are pretty close in terms of ability right now just because of their defenses. But like you said, dude, the Chargers have the talent and the offense to make this turnaround possible. Like they have the they have the guys in their in their facilities to make this happen. But again, we've got 20 years of culture to base this off of, and we've got three years uh, of Brandon Staley uh, that 
kind of tell us that this track record um, is probably going to stay the same and that we're not going to see a drastic turnaround. But I do think the Chargers have the talent to do it. I, I don't think they're a playoff team either at this point right now too, Carson. I probably wouldn't pick them to do it. And I do want to be clear, I'm in favor of being aggressive on fourth and short situations, especially when you have a great quarterback like Justin Herbert. But to do that in the most dangerous spot on the field, basically, to go for it, in a situation that it really isn't necessary if you have even the least bit of faith in your defense, and to do it with your greatest weakness as a football team, that being, hey, let's just run it up the middle, that's where I have a massive problem with it. And I just don't think Brandon Staley has good feel for those situations whatsoever. Okay, let's talk about another very exciting finish today between two teams that both have their playoff hopes and are now both sitting at 2-1. and one. The Packers come back from 17-0 down to beat the Saints. Derek Carr does get hurt in this game with a sprained AC joint in his shoulder. He's replaced by Jameis Winston. But what did you take away from this one, Logan? I think there's reason to to believe in Jordan Love, man, with what he did on that final drive. Uh, I do think, or the last couple drives, man, because they needed three scores. Uh, I think you saw a real-life uh, application of momentum here in this game when Derek Carr went out. Uh, to me, the Packers felt almost like uh, like sharks, sensing blood in the water, man. Like, I, I saw the, the tide just felt like it changed once Carr went out of this ball game, and it felt within reach. Again, they're down 17-0 heading into the fourth quarter. This is a Packers team without David Bakhtiari on the field, without Aaron Jones, without Christian Watson, and it didn't matter. They went out there and they executed. Uh, they get a couple lucky. They get a couple plays where uh, you get a P.I. down the field to move them, but uh, love through some dots in this game, man. The one to read that got called back, they end up getting a field goal on, that huge scramble, the 30 yards, the option inside the red zone for the touchdown. He throws another dot later on that drive uh, to read. I like Jordan Love a lot, and this was not a great first three quarters for Love. Uh, I played pretty poorly to start out this game, but without a whole lot of weapons, they didn't make any excuses. They moved the ball down the field. He executed, and he kept drives alive. It was a really impressive quarter from Jordan Love. I'm not ready to hop on the bandwagon and say, oh, he's this new franchise QB for them. He's going to be Rodgers. He's going to be Favre. I know a lot of people were saying that immediately after the game. I believe in Jordan Love, though. I think he can be an above-average quarterback in this league. Again, there's no weapons. His best offensive lineman is out of this game. And this against a really good Saints defense, too. Now, with that, I do think it's important, Carson, that we mention, I thought this was some pretty bad execution by the Saints late here. Jameis does not play great in the time that he's on the field. Uh, specifically on those last two drives, man, you have a third and three. They take a deep shot uh, on the second to last drive of this game. You're going for the first down, man. You have the lead. I didn't understand that play call from the Saints offense at all. All of their guys run deep shots on third and three. Jameis throws it in completion way short. Uh, that, to me, was a bad play call. And then they get a little unlucky. You have the missed field goal at the end of the game. But this is a big win for Green Bay, and I think it's just something to, it's really encouraging. A fourth quarter moment with your back against the wall, you need points on three consecutive drives without any of your skill position guys, and Jordan Love goes out there and does it. Uh, I like the Green Bay Packers a lot. They're, uh, to me, I don't think they're like a legitimate playoff contender in the sense that I think they're going to go out there and win consecutive playoff games, but I think they can crack the field, and I think they can make it really tough uh, in the wild card round if they can get in there, but I thought this was a really encouraging fourth quarter from Jordan Love, and I buy into him as the future of this team and potentially as a, an above-average to top-ten starter, hopefully, one day in the NFL. 
I'm really excited to see what Love looks like finally with all the weapons healthy. Again, Christian Watson has not played a game. We haven't seen Aaron Jones since week one when this Packers offense looked explosive. And just seeing the the vibes from the Packers team, it seems like these guys buy into Jordan Love. And to me, that means a lot. So uh, I bought into the Packers before the season. I'm still riding with them. I think there's a lot uh, that is encouraging about Green Bay after this week. I like Jordan Love and the Packers. I don't love either one of them, though. Wow, I didn't even mean to do the play on words there. No, I really didn't. I promise. I think that he has a good head on his shoulders, which is a good place to start. And I don't think he gets rattled. And I think he mostly makes good decisions with the football. I will say, though, he does have some real accuracy issues. And I thought week one was mostly good. There were still a couple spots where you saw it. one ball where he had Luke Musgrave could have been a big play and he was pretty wide open and he just totally overthrew him. But we've seen that trend more, his efficiency drop as a passer by a good bit these last couple games. Again, missed Musgrave downfield a couple times. A really big spot, that first drive of the fourth quarter, that fourth and two where they're in the red zone and he just totally misses Taylor in the flat. That was partly a miscommunication, too. He was trying to lead Taylor a lot more. He was sort of just sitting down in the open space. But that should have been pretty much a free first down. And instead, it was a turnover on downs. So I don't look at this as a great all-around game. But I think it's impressive in his fourth career start that he is able to remain composed. And again, generally makes good decisions with the football. Has solid arm talent. Isn't an above and beyond creator but is able to make plays with his legs in spots and extend plays a bit in spots. So it's just not an overly talented offense right now. Like you said, they weren't efficient running the football. They're without their number one receiver and love wasn't great, but he was good enough to beat a saints offense that I think is very limited. And that remains my concern about this team. I think that their defense is legitimately good, but they completely struggled to generate explosive plays again, not running the football well, of course, without Kamara. But as I've continually mentioned, Kamara had really dropped off in his efficiency as a runner over the last couple years. And even today, right, they're up 17-0 when Carr goes down. But seven of those points came off a punt return touchdown. So this has been one of the more limited offenses in football. They haven't gone over 20 points in a game this year. And I think that is a formula for a very low ceiling. I think that both these teams fall into the high floor, low ceiling category. I probably like the Packers a little bit more because I think they have more room to grow offensively if we see improvement from Love as the season goes along, as they get some of the talent back. But I still think with the level of offensive production we've seen from them thus far, winning a playoff game, certainly winning multiple playoff games, feels like a pretty tall task to me. Why do you think that the Saints have a pretty high floor? Because I'm going to be honest. I mean, through three weeks, I think their defenses look good. Uh, their offenses look pretty mediocre. I, I don't know. I I'm definitely leaning on more of uh, this team feels like a six to seven win team at best. Uh, why At best? Yeah, I don't know. I don't really see, a, I guess because their division is so easy that maybe we could see them mm -hmm. creep into that eight to nine win territory. I've been pretty unimpressed uh, by everything except for this Saints defense through three weeks. Uh, their offense instills very little confidence in me. Yeah, I, I don't know. To me, they feel like a 6-7 to seven win team right now. Why do you still think that they have a pretty high floor? Well, 
when I say high floor, I mean I would expect them to get to like seven wins. I would be really pretty surprised if this was a 10-win team. I do still think that I slightly prefer the Falcons in this division, but honestly, between them, Atlanta, and Tampa, it's pretty close. But I like the overall defensive foundation. It's not the best pass rush, but it's solid. I like the secondary. And then I think offensively, they're never going to be inept. I think that certainly Jameis is one of the best backups in football. And there is the element of he's a bit mistake prone. Carr has also become a bit mistake prone, but not overly so. To me, it's competent quarterback play at the least and good skill position talent in the receiving game as long as Thomas is healthy. The run game is a concern as of now. I don't think it's ever going to be a good offense, but I don't think it's going to be one of the absolute worst in the league. I think it's a good defense. I think they're well coached. So I just think they're pretty much destined for mediocrity. They're going to fall on one side of mediocrity. If it's seven or eight wins, that's what I see for them. But I don't see this as a four or five win team. I just think they're too sound all around to me and, and too solid defensively without being inept offensively for that to happen. So we are back with another week of football and DraftKings Sportsbook is keeping us in on the NFL action with great offers every single game day. New customers can bet $5 and get $200 instantly in bonus bets. Throw five down on any of this week's epic matchups to walk away an instant winner. And DraftKings isn't stopping there. All customers can take advantage of two new offers every game day this September. Football's more fun when you're in on the action. So download the app now and sign up with code NERDS. New customers can bet just $5 to get $200 instantly in bonus bets. Only on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL with code NERDS. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problems with gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort, licensee partner Golden Nugget Lake Charles, 21 plus age, varies by jurisdiction, void in Ontario. See sportsbook.draftkings.com slash football terms for eligibility terms and responsible gaming resources. Bonus bets expire seven days after issuance. Eligibility and deposit restrictions apply. Let's talk about a couple teams that are certainly not inept offensively, Logan, because we saw a couple of good old-fashioned boat races from the two teams that have emerged as the powers in the AFC East, especially with what happened with the Jets and, of course, Aaron Rodgers' injury. Let's start with a historic win from the Dolphins who hung 70 on the Denver Broncos, something that we haven't seen since 1966. What do you make of this complete dominance that we've seen from the Dolphins offense so far? Dude, I mean, I think Mike McDaniel might be the smartest man in football. Yes. What is that yes. guy cooking up, man? I'm trying to Trying to get some. Where do we get guys like Mike McDaniel, man? Do we got to go to Yale? We, we got to get Harvard. We got to hit the Ivy Leagues. It's ridiculous. This is one of the most clever offenses I think I've ever seen. It's so nuanced. It's so smart. It's like a, I, I don't. It's like a picture poison kind of thing to me, Carson. It's like a, a a shell game. Like you know the three card money. Like whichever card you pick, you're getting screwed. If you put your money down you're getting screwed on this hand. You know, the ball's not going to be under the cup that you expect. And what I mean by that is the way they pick on the linebackers is so amazing to me. There's so many moving parts. 
one, it's hard to keep up with the motion, the play action stuff, but it's also the actions that they're running, the motions, the play actions. It's deliberate. And Mike McDaniel is specifically picking apart an aspect of your defense that Tua is going to read and make the right call on. That's where I'll give Tua such a, a an awesome edge. You know, we give so much credit to the surrounding pieces here in Miami, and I think you have to because it goes hand in hand, right? All of the moving parts make this a great offense. Mike McDaniel, the mm-hmm. smartest man in football. Tua Tagovailoa, one of the smartest minds in football again. I think this offense is tailored to what he does great, but I think he's such a great processor and reader of the game that he makes this thing go. It's also one of the fastest offenses in football. All the guys that eat today, Tyreek Hill ran a 4-2-9, you know, obviously like one of the fastest guys in football ever. Jalen Waddle ran a 4-3-7, Mostert, 4-3-2, a chain who breaks out. I know, dude, a lot of a lot of heads have been talking about a chain before the season started as like a sleeper guy to break out in this offense. He's another one of those speedsters, 4-3-2. But the way they pick apart the middle of the field and the way McDaniel sets up Tua to eat on these defenses is just magnificent, man. Uh, the play actions, where wherever that linebacker goes, they have a route coming across the middle of the field for Tua to drop it into. It's just genius, and it's not just that. The offensive line has played great so far, too, and they've ran the hell out of the ball. Uh, The Mostert rush in the first half, to me, was a work of art. They go I-formation with three guys straight up, and then they have a wideout sneaking behind the offensive line there, too. You also have a wideout lined up in the slot, so they motion that wideout in the backfield out to lead on a toss left along with the fullback to lead the way. They also have a pulling tackle. All those guys are moving out to the left. The slot wideout doesn't move, and he delivers such a genius crackback block on the edge that just opens up all of the left side of the field to lead the way. It's just genius, man. Like, to me, watching the slot guy not move and set up the edge perfectly, it's genius, man. I think Mike McDaniel's like the smartest guy in football, and it's reflected by what they've done through the first three weeks, Carson. You mentioned Mm -hmm. tied second most points ever scored in a single game. Only one team has eclipsed 60 points this century. That's the 2011 Saints. The only team that's come close was the 2019 Ravens when they dropped 59 points. Carson, just 14 offenses have scored 103 points in a three-week span since 2000. That list includes the 2000 Rams, the 2007 Patriots, and the 2013 Broncos. Only one offense in NFL history has scored 130 points in the first three weeks of a season. And you have to go back to the 1960s Dallas Cowboys to find that team. Simply put, uh, this is one of the best offenses in football. I think the best. And Mike McDaniel is a freaking mastermind, man. He is an mm-hmm. evil genius. He's diabolical. And, uh, Mike, I will pay you any amount of money. You name it, uh, I will hire you. If I had it in my bank, the Pittsburgh Steelers would have you tomorrow, bro. I, mm-hmm. <laughs> Mike McDaniel's an evil genius, Carson. I am so jealous as a Pittsburgh Steelers fan. I love watching Miami's offense. It is, it's seemingly flawless. I love how you continue to make personnel decisions hey, for the Pittsburgh Steelers. I got to negotiate. I can't wait I until negotiate. they start listening. No, man, seriously. I agree. I think he's pretty clearly the best offensive mind in football and all the credit in the world to Kyle Shanahan, who I think is brilliant. But I don't think we have ever seen somebody who can make anybody on the field such a threat at all times and who is so effective in the use of motion 
He's just the most creative offensive mind that I have seen. And I've been waiting for A-Chain to pop literally just because of the 4-3 speed, man. And I'm like, Mike McDaniel is going to find a way to weaponize that in a scary way. And sure enough, he has. It's the fastest offense that I've ever seen. This is without Jalen Waddle, but especially when he is out there. But also, he's the best at weaponizing this speed that I have seen. And the ability to draw dudes open over the middle of the field, we've seen it with River Craycraft. We've seen it with Braxton Berrios. We've seen it with Smythe. And then Tua is delivering the ball with great timing. He's accurate over the middle of the field, and he was extremely efficient in this game. Again, you do see just the generational playmaking, like that first drive. Tua throws a not very good ball to Tyreek, but he is so open and he is so fast that it's still an easy 60-yard touchdown. It is just offensive paradise. And when you see that they're still hanging these explosive plays with the second stringers in, when Mike White is hitting Robbie Chosen for a, a deep ball and an easy touchdown... It speaks to the offensive mind. It also does speak to some serious problems with this Denver Broncos defense. And I do think we have to note that because we know that the Dolphins offense is dynamic. And I think the most significant thing that we saw today that was building on what they did against the Pats is how effectively they are running the football. Because as last year went along, Mostert has always been good. He has incredible speed but they couldn't consistently rely on the run game, and it felt like they became a bit one-dimensional, and the offense started to falter partly as a product of that. And this still isn't obviously a power between the tackles, overpower you at the line of scrimmage sort of run game, but it was a dominant run game today, and they have two of the fastest running backs in football, and they have very creative ways to get them the football in space, and they have an incredibly intimidating passing attack that has to be respected at all times they're going to be facing tons of too high safety looks all year because of the speed that they have the potential to burn you downfield at every time so it's lighter boxes it's just everything complements everything they are impossible to take away it feels like especially when they have the running game going like this it is going to be interesting to see how this offense hold up against the buffalo bills next weekend i will be there but to me that's the best defense that they face the pats Obviously a good defense. I think the Chargers are a horrible defense. I think the Broncos are a very disappointing defense. But hanging 70 on somebody is remarkable no matter what. And this is a really, truly special offense. But I do think we need to talk about Denver. Because, of course, there was a lot of talk throughout the offseason about Sean Payton coming in, about the Russell Wilson rejuvenation. But I always had reasonable expectations with that. That, honestly, I feel have pretty much been met by the offense. My hope was, let's get this offense to be below average, Logan. Just mediocre. How about not worst in the league? How about Russell Wilson throwing for fewer touchdowns than he has bathrooms in his house damn near? Let's just climb up from the awful tier into the mediocre tier and then try to retain something close to their top five defense last year, which it was. It was an elite defense. And then you're looking at like an eight-win team, which is what I predicted they would be. And that defense has fallen off hard. They had no pass rush in this game, and nobody gets the ball out quicker than Tua. And I do think that this line is playing well, better than I expected. But they just couldn't dream of affecting him all day and really did nothing to make Miami uncomfortable. And there comes a point where you are just getting ran like this, ran off the field 
where I do think that it speaks to something that is wrong in terms of a culture, in terms of effort from the team. Of course, they were outclassed, but 70, man, basically everything has to be going in one team's favor and against the other teams for that to happen. So I'm disappointed in the Broncos. I didn't have super high hopes. I didn't think this was a playoff team, but I also didn't expect this defense to feel like it's fallen off a cliff, and that's where I'm at with them right now. I completely tapered my expectations for the Broncos heading into this season because of how bad Russell Wilson made me feel watching him play football, but you're exactly right. Mm -hmm. uh, the issue has not been Russell Wilson through you know, uh, through three weeks. I mean, he's looked pretty good. I mean, compared to last year, this is a different QB. I mean, mm -hmm. Russ has looked average, which is about what you can expect. Uh, Carson, you're exactly right, though. I mean, this is a team that lacks a culture and heart I mean I thought Garrett Bowles summed it up pretty well uh, after the mm -hmm. game uh, that clip's been going around social media I feel like you know the s word uh, I you don't feel great I've been here seven years and all I've done is lose and it's like I don't know I don't know how I would feel after getting 70 pieced either you know because I went mm -hmm. away and I was like oh you know the positive take on this is hey we're gonna bounce back next week this is one week you know we need to get our heads on straight we'll come back and we'll fight I get it. You got 70 pieced in 2023. It's pretty damn hard to do. I understand being demoralized, being dejected. That's the ultimate. That's what is, was makes this situation so hard for Sean Payton. It's deeper than Sean Payton. It's you got to get these guys to fight, man. You got to get these guys to battle. Mm -hmm. And they are clearly mentally not prepared to go into war every week and to go win football games. It feels almost as much mental as it is physical on the football field. They gave up. They didn't have a whole lot of heart. And I don't know how you get this, man, because it, there's just a there's a dark cloud that has been lingering over the Denver Broncos' heads, it felt like, since the start of last season. And they have got to they got to exercise these demons, man. Yeah, and it's just been brutal in every way defensively. Supposed to be one of the elite secondaries in football. They've been brutal against the pass. Obviously got just eviscerated on the ground today so really rough stuff from them and I don't see any sort of playoff opportunity at this point I do want to talk about the Bills quickly though because this is a team that it felt like a lot of people sold their stock on after week one specifically Josh Allen and was what was obviously a horrible loss to the Jets but this is a great football team a team that I think has a very legitimate chance to win the AFC and absolutely has a Super Bowl ceiling as they have for the last few years. But the defense is what stands out today. Yes, they hang 37 on Washington, but it was as good a performance from the pass rush as I have seen in the era in which Josh Allen has been the quarterback. Nine sacks, and there's a combination of things there. Washington's line is not good. I think Sam Howell holds on to the ball for too long for sure but it's the most talented pass rush yet and it's the combination of the young guys growing into their own Epinesa Rousseau Ed Oliver all those guys got home for a sack in this game the addition of a big time impact edge guy like Leonard Floyd who came in big with two sacks and then we still haven't seen Von Miller and when Von Miller comes back this is going to be a scary pass rush this could be an elite pass rush which the Bills haven't had but the other big takeaway defensively is the progression of Terrell Bernard, who had big-time plays in this game, two sacks, a pick, a pass deflection, recovered a fumble as well, really strong all around. That was a point of concern in this defense. Matt Milano was a stud. He is significantly better than Tremaine Edmonds ever was. 
And I don't think Bills fans generally were as high on Edmonds as people outside Buffalo, probably, because he has this crazy athletic profile, his consistency as a tackler, imposing himself physically as much as those physical traits would suggest he could. He definitely took a step last year. That was the best he'd been, and he was really quite good in coverage. But this has been a very promising sign in a spot that was, again, the concern of this defense because the secondary, even though they're aging, those guys have been so good for so long. The pass rush in the front was looking the best, and I think Bernard had a really encouraging performance for this linebacking core. But then offensively, they just keep rolling. And Josh had the one pick in this game. He took a shot downfield to Gabe Davis one-on-one. It was effectively a punt. I don't care about that. Overall, I thought that he really did a good job for the second straight game of blending the control, taking what the defense gives you with the creation. He wasn't as crazy efficient and disciplined as he was in week two, but it was another really good Josh game. He also had the big run uh, for the touchdown. But James Cook, speaking of the run game, is also great. This was his second consecutive dynamic performance on the ground. So that's why I feel like this has the potential to be the best all-around Bills team. They may not have the play calling that they did with Brian Dable. They may not have the weapons in the passing game. Although I do think we have seen Dalton Kincaid. The guy is good. He was a good pick, a good addition. But in terms of the reliable, always open guy like Cole Beasley out of the slot, a really good deep threat like John Brown. I don't think the receiving core is as well-rounded as it was back then, as I've talked about. But it definitely looks like their best pass rush. It definitely looks like their best run game with James Cook. Linebacking core is encouraging, and overall, the defense has been pretty stellar. So, uh, this Bills team looks really good and absolutely has to be right towards the top of anybody's contenders in the AFC. And if you hopped off the bandwagon after week one, I think you have to be back on now. I understand that they've dominated two bad teams, but they have dominated them and just looked excellent. But the commanders also do suck. And we had a Sam Howell debate before this week. But yeah, he looked bad, man. He was holding all for too long. He was putting the ball in dangerous spots. You see that with the four picks. There were some big plays made by the Bills defensive players, but also some bad decisions. I think that Brian Robinson is really legit, and Washington did have success running the ball, but they just weren't in a position to commit to it with how much they were trailing in this game. And as I've said, I don't think this is a great all-around Washington defense. I think it's a really good front, a really good pass rush specifically, but that wasn't even the case in this game. They just didn't have an impact. They didn't make Josh uncomfortable. I thought the Bills O-line held up well against them. So that's a bad football team. We talked about who's the most fraudulent 2-0 team after week two. We both felt it was Washington. They barely beat two pretty bad football teams, and they finally play a good football team, and they just get absolutely destroyed. I just wanted to say, if you hopped off the Bills bandwagon after week one, sorry, we're not accepting any invitations back on. You already left. It's We're full. Nice. Applications are Love full. Love it. I, I do think, if you want to look, I think the this is the best Bills team that Josh has ever had around him. I think they are a legitimate contender. And I would just say, take a look around at this week and what the great, the great teams do. Great teams don't play with their food. They finish the job. They decimate bad teams. That's what always frustrated me about the mid-2010 Steelers with A.B., with Bell, with uh, Le'Veon, or excuse me, Ben. We never put away bad teams, and that's what always scared me about when it came playoff time. We can lose any game. 
The hallmark of great teams is that they handle business and they beat up on bad teams. The Bills did it. The Dolphins did it. The Chiefs did it. Mm -hmm. That's what you should do, man. You don't play with your food. You go in there, you handle business. And I thought the Bills did that too. I do think this could be a very long season for Washington, though, Carson. I think I drastically overestimated. I mean, I had them at eight wins heading into this season because I thought they'd maybe split some Mm -hmm. in-division games. Even with a 2-0 start, I'm – definitely leaning towards this could be a five to six win uh, team for Washington. I think you're exactly right. I like their pass rush. I like Emmanuel Forbes. I like some of the individual pieces on offense. I don't like Sam Howell. I don't like the line. Those are the two most important things on offense. And uh, uh, commander stock is dwindling for me. I'm definitely leaning more towards a five to six win team at the end of the year. Well, you mentioned great teams taking care of their business. We saw a couple teams that you expect to be in that tier that did not do so today. The Jags and the Ravens both lose. Whose loss are you more concerned by, Logan? To me, I'm much more concerned with the with the Jaguars' loss uh, mm-hmm. for a few reasons. One, track record. I just think the Ravens have an identity that you bank on. I believe in Baltimore. I believe in Harbaugh. I believe in Lamar. I believe in this defense. I believe in this culture. They've just proven... Uh, for far too long that this is a team that you can buy into winning consistently. Also, they kept it close. Uh, Zay Flowers doesn't get a crucial P.I. call late. I didn't think it should have been yeah. called. That was a, a close What? One. I don't know. No it was, way. It was a bit of a – I'm a Steelers fan, so it was a bit of a toss-up for me. You know, it was more, it was more 50-50. <laughs> Dude thinks it's Mel Blunt era. It was, We're not in 1978, buddy. But uh, to me, I felt like this is more of a – this felt like a trap game for Baltimore. A ton of injuries – Ronnie Stanley, Lyndon Baum, OBJ, Humphrey, Williams, Oway. And again, this is a Ravens team that was likely preparing to face Anthony Richardson. You get a little Gardner Minshew action. That felt like more of a game that could go awry because of the injuries, mm-hmm. because of the situation. Because honestly, too, I don't think the Colts have looked that bad. I don't think the Colts are like one of the worst no. teams in football. I think that the Colts are pretty average. I think they're a good team. On the other side... It just seems like Houston has Jacksonville's number. They've won 16 of the last 19 and 10 of the last 11 versus Jacksonville. They've won five in a row versus Jacksonville. But again, this is a Texans team with a rookie quarterback, with an offensive mm-hmm. line that had four of their five starters out of this football game. It's time to eat. Like I said, good teams do not play with their food. This is time to eat for Jacksonville. This is a stamp game, a statement game. You put your foot down on Houston's neck, and you say, I'm a top contender in the AFC. All the other top contenders in the AFC handle business today, save Baltimore. Jacksonville didn't. Stroud, shout out. I thought Stroud balled out. He's got 906 yards and four TDs through three games in a pretty bad situation. I thought he has looked great, but I mean... (sighs) Jacksonville's looked really poor. This is a complete dud from them. You have a missed field goal in this game. You have a blocked field goal. You have that kick return by the Texans fullback. I've never seen that in my life. I saw saw Dan Connolly take a kick back. This one shocked me a little more, man. Uh, I thought Calvin Ridley had a really bad game in this one, too. Three drop balls, two of them for TDs. He had two false starts, too. Uh, T-Law does not have a great game in this one, and I think that's where a lot of people are going to point to the blame, and rightfully so. This is not a good Texans team. This is not a good Texans defense, and you just got to go out there and handle business. Again, not finishing drives. You need points. Sure, settling for field goals, man. The the Texans hung 30 points up on you in this game. You got to go get touchdowns. Yeah, man, 
it's the culture thing, right? That's why we worry about it. There's a culture to buy in with Buffalo. There's a culture to buy in with Kansas City. There's a culture to buy in with Baltimore. There's a culture that is being cultivated by Miami, that we are slowly all going, hey, Mm -hmm. maybe we should buy in. Jacksonville has yet to really stamp and prove to me that they are a a reliable formula to buy into. And honestly, I want to see more from Trevor Lawrence too, man. This is supposed to be the year. T-Law is supposed to be the guy that officially cements himself as a top five quarterback or in that conversation this year. Frankly, through three weeks, he has not put himself in those conversations. And uh, I was left wanting a lot more after this game from Jacksonville. They've got a lot to prove to me, Carson, uh, over the next few weeks. Yeah, I thought that Trevor was excellent week one and has been pretty underwhelming since then, as has the Jags offense as a whole. And they ran the ball better today, but you mentioned it's situational stuff. It's finishing drives. Uh, you get a turnover from Trevor in this one. So I was certainly more concerned by Jacksonville's loss because they were soundly outplayed. And frankly, they were dominated basically the whole game. The Ravens loss, I'm totally with you on. It was mostly situational. It came down to a couple turnovers. The Colts played a pretty clean game overall, but Baltimore, they had the pair of fumbles lost. Tucker misses a 61-yard field goal that could have won them the game. Not that you should expect anybody to make that, but he's got a pretty good shot at it, and it was right down the middle. It was just a little bit short. I thought that fourth and six on the Colts 44 in overtime, to me, they should have gone. Harbaugh's normally aggressive in those fourth down situations. You've got Lamar Jackson. I say put the ball in the hands of your great player, play to win. And then, to me, the fourth down that ends up costing them this game the Zay Flowers target, I thought he was very clearly interfered with. But they felt like the better game. Lamar was dynamic on the ground. The pass rush was ferocious. They are down some guys, but to be fair, you kind of have to factor that in with Baltimore because they so consistently are hurt. But they looked good. They just slipped up in a few spots. They let the game get away from them. Jacksonville just looked bad. And That is now the second straight week that the offense has struggled. They also couldn't get pressure against that Texans O-line that you mentioned is down four starters. So I didn't think it was a good performance from them, even close to it. And I was hesitant to elevate them into that tier of the truly elite teams because I thought, okay, we need to see it consistently over a full year from T-Law as high as I am on him. And I picked him to win MVP, partly to be a little bit fun, but I do totally believe that he is going to be a top five quarterback. I think he's already on the outskirts of that. And because this wasn't an established great defense and just because they hadn't climbed that mountain in the same way that we've seen some of these other teams do year in, year out, the Bills, the Chiefs, the Bengals over the last couple years, but it's a very favorable schedule in terms of their divisional matchups. It's a little tough outside having to play other divisional winners, but you don't want to be one and two at this point in the year. So it's a bounce back spot against Atlanta at home next week. They've got to win that game. Otherwise the alarm bells are really going to start to ring. I still think if they don't win this division, it would be a shock, but I do want to give props to CJ Stroud. You mentioned the numbers. He's fourth in passing yards in all of football right now. He's ninth in yards per attempt. He hasn't turned the ball over. Being down four starting O-linemen with Nico Collins, who I like as his number one receiver, like he's just not on a talented offense. And that's sort of been the de facto concern about C.J. Stroud is it's okay, he's going to go from playing in the most privileged situation, the most talent on the field at all times, to basically the opposite of that. I think his accuracy has remained excellent. I think his timing, his processing, his comfort in the pocket, willingness to hang in there. The dude is a stud. I think Anthony Richardson has looked really good. 
but there's no question that the most polished, consistently impressive rookie quarterback as of now has been CJ Stroud. So props to him for getting his team a win in this one. Okay, let's quickly move through a few more games worth talking about. The Browns came back after a disappointing loss for them to your Steelers in a primetime spot and just eviscerated the Titans. What did you take away from this one, Logan? I mean, I was completely wrong on this game. Uh, I had some good picks this week. This was not one of them. I was locked in on Titans plus three and a half. I thought that was easy. I thought Derrick Henry was going to run down the Browns' throat. That's where I was most impressed with. Uh, This is a Mm -hmm. Browns team that has not been able to defend the run for I don't know how long. A long freaking time, man. Everybody's been able to run on the Browns. They shut out Derrick Henry. And what happens when you shut out Derrick Henry Carson? Oh, my God. Ryan Tannehill sucks. Who would have thought? Oh, yeah. yeah, I mean, once you take that aspect of the Titans away, man, it's wraps. Uh, 11 carries for 20 yards. I was super impressed with that. I was super impressed with the pressure that they were able to put on Tennessee. I think this is a Browns team that, frankly, Carson... Uh, was pissed off. I think they were angry Mm -hmm. after last week. I think they came out here with an intent. I think this is a team that thinks they're better than this, or better than what they showed last week. And I think that they still believe, and I believe too, that they can contend without Nick Chubb. I think this team is that talented, especially with what we got out of Deshaun Watson in this game. Uh, The one clip that's been going around, I know people have been dogging him for throwing that ball backwards. I don't know what that was, man. That was... That was some high school stuff right there. Outside of that, I mean, Watson played a pretty flawless game. 27-33, 289 yards, two TDs in this one. Just really decisive, quick getting rid of the football. They were able to, uh, they weren't able to run the ball either in this game too. Uh, again, I, I I don't want to go a fully flip-flop here. All the Browns are super contenders. We need to see this out of Deshaun Watson more consistently. He's got the talent around him to do it. We also need... Uh, we also need to see that uh, they can do this against a good team. Uh, the Titans' secondary has sucked for a, a long time, too. They were one, uh, the worst secondary in the NFL last season. So, again, I don't want to get too hyped up on a Deshaun Watson game, but it is encouraging, and this is, again, a team that is talented enough. If Deshaun Watson can put it together, they are a legit contender, I feel, in the AFC. Their defense is so good and has been dominant so far. They haven't played the best collection of offenses going Steelers to Titans, but they did shut down the Bengals, who, yeah, didn't look great in Week 2 either. We'll see how they respond tomorrow on Monday night. But they're allowing 130 yards per game, Logan. 130. They have let up 21 first downs through three football games. I thought Miles Garrett put on a master class today, three and a half sacks, five quarterback hits. Their front has been elite against the run allowing just 53 yards per game on 2.8 yards per attempt through these three games. That has been so impressive. And we know that this is a crazy talented pass rush and a talented defense overall. They're really putting it together through three weeks. But offensively, we saw some real progress in the pass game. And the Browns' identity consistently for the last few years has been elite rushing attack, great offensive line, maybe the best pure runner in football with Nick Chubb, and then mediocre quarterback play a lot depending on the play action that feeds off of that certainly in the baker days this was a game where they didn't run the football well and they're still trying to find the balance in terms of who is the rb1 what is the carry share jerome ford i think was sort of the presumptive guy for that spot but pierre strong got six carries kareem hunt got five carries so i still think they should be able to run the ball well and i think that that should be a very important foundation of this offense but 
Watson did look good. I mean, he was largely making good decisions, largely accurate downfield. I will say that just completely brain dead, reckless, throwing the ball backward moment to me is a reflection of the fact that he's still just not where he was back in 2020 mentally. This was a guy who didn't make a lot of mistakes and we've seen the accuracy issues, but we've seen really the decision-making issues. That was another one. Didn't cost them, but God, that was stupid. But although Watson looked good, I thought that really Amari Cooper was excellent in this game and was wide open downfield a lot. And you mentioned the Titans' pass defense is awful. It has been since last year. The secondary sucks, and they don't really get a ton of pressure. So it was a good opportunity for this offense to look good. But given how bad Watson has been really in the first eight games with the Browns, this was his best game for them. And their ceiling is crazy high, even without Conklin. Even without Chubb, I mean, those are two of their five best players. But because of how great this defense is and this pass rush, especially with Miles Garrett, who is as dominant a force as there is in the game there, I do still like this line. I do still like this run game and weapons. It's just, can Watson be a top 10 quarterback? If he can, this team can go far. I certainly haven't seen enough to buy in on that because of how bad he looked in the first two weeks. But it's a good sign for a Browns team that I really like on paper. There's a lot of talent there. Okay. This is Jeff T from the Club 520 Podcast. You'll know when you get it. It'll say eBay. Authenticity. Guarantee. You'll feel it. Because when it comes to your feet, eBay has your back. Maybe it's that head-turning pair for hooping or a hot new collab. Whatever you're after. When you cop on eBay, you can trust that your kicks will be checked by experts. Not just any expert. Sneaker experts who live and breathe the culture. Real people with real hands-on authentication experience. That's when Blue Checkmark represents on our listing. eBay Authenticity Guarantee, meaning every inch, stitch, sole, logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. So when you finally step into those grill kicks, you'll realize the feeling is unlike any other. And with eBay Authenticity Guarantee, the feeling of real is always within reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. We highlighted Falcons-Lions as an interesting matchup before this week. Two teams that had to show us some stuff, particularly on the defensive end. The Lions end up winning this game by a couple touchdowns. So what did you take away from that, Logan? I was really impressed with his defense and how they were able to slow down the Falcons' rushing attack, specifically the guys uh, in the middle of the field. Rookie Brian Branch, who I loved at Alabama. Fantastic game, 11 tackles in this one, three of them for a loss. He has uh, two pass breakups, too. Uh, the guy that, uh, my boy Angelo, resident Lions fan, the only one that I know, uh, has been hyping up Alex Anzalone uh, this season, too. Mm-hmm. He loves Anzalone, loves him in coverage, uh, is always just talking about how he's making plays all across the field. Uh, he did in this one, too, seven tackles this week, seven tackles last week. 
he's a little weird looking. Like he's a slight dude. Oh. And, well, let's not be judgmental. It, it's strange just because you don't normally see slight linebackers uh, with long hair. He looks more like a I think safety. you meant to say white linebackers. Oh, yeah, no. Logan. Slight and white linebackers <laughs> uh, with long blonde hair. He looks like mini Thor out there. Uh, he balled. Aiden Hutchinson got so much pressure in this game, too, dude. Mm-hmm. Two sacks. And that, to me, is the big thing. If Detroit can get pressure like this every week, I mean, they're a legit contender. Uh, I don't think it's the best offense. Like, the Falcons have a, a, a good rushing identity. I think I think Desmond Ritter kind of stinks. Uh, I, yeah. I have really not liked anything I've seen out of him through three weeks. It seems like the Falcons are almost handcuffed to him in a way, uh, mm-hmm. in the sense that they don't want him to throw the football. They don't want him to have to do anything. They just kind of want him to be there. Uh, the Falcons, it, to me, is such an ideal landing spot if Chicago blows up with Justin Fields. Just to have that kind oh of God. rushing weapon where he's with an offensive mind who knows what he's doing with talent, with a good offensive line. I'd love to see him end up out there. Uh, yeah, I really like the Lions' uh, defense today. And this is, it again, last week, Carson, like you mentioned, we said these teams were kind of in the same tier for us. To me... The Lions have kind of cemented themselves in that 4-7 to seven tier. I don't know where they rank right now. Again, I think Green Bay is clawing for a spot. Uh, I still really like Tampa Bay. I know I'm like the only Buck supporter or believer on the planet. The Falcons, to me, are kind of on that on X tier. I'd have them right outside of the playoff picture, around 9, yeah. or, around nine well, or 10 in the NFC. Somebody's got to win the South, but all right. You think it's the Bucks? I can see it. We'll see how Baker holds up as the year goes along. Yeah, maybe these two teams were in the same tier, but I think we've both consistently been higher on Detroit. I know I had them as a 10-win team before the year. I did have the Falcons winning the division, the NFC South, with eight wins, but I don't feel bad about that. What we saw, though, and this was predictable, is how it looks when Atlanta struggles to run the ball, which I do think is going to be rare because of how good their line is and because of their exceptional running back talent. But when they do struggle to run and then they fall behind and they have to throw the ball close to 40 times in a game as they did, it is ugly. Desmond Ritter is, I would like to say, the worst thrower of the football who was a day one starter now that Zachy Wilson is into the picture. Maybe that changes, but I mean, I think Dobbs is better. I think he's more accurate. I think he makes better decisions. Ritter is very limited there. Can't make quick decisions with the football. I think that's a big reason he took seven sacks in this one. Struggles with accuracy downfield. Just not good. And he is totally a guy who they're going to want to move on from down the line. And you mentioned it. Like, if you did put a hyper-athletic, truly running quarterback into this system, that would be scary. Or if you put a guy who could push the ball downfield and then weaponize the play action game and they have a couple really big athletic targets with Drake London and Kyle Pitts, either of those would be great. Unfortunately, right now they just have Desmond Ritter. But I do want to give big props to the Lions for shutting down the run because we haven't seen people do that against Atlanta this year and really not much last year. It was a dominant rushing attack. And this Lions defense sucked against the run last year. They were 30th in yards per attempt allowed, but they've been really good there this year and I think we saw the defense progressed as last season went along we've seen it get even better this year I know that they struggled in week two but I think it's mostly been encouraging considering this performance in week one against the Chiefs Hutchinson is off to a monster start so I don't think it's a top 10 defense for the Lions but I definitely think it's an average defense and an average defense with the offense they put up last year It's a pretty damn good football team. It's not a contender to me, but it's clearly like a division winner. Maybe they can win a playoff game. And I think that was the vision. So 
Offensively, it wasn't a dominant, crazy dynamic performance, but it was another solid one. They just have such a high floor there. The formula is so reliable with their ability to run the ball at a high level consistently. I mean, Goff and the passing game, the scheming there, the weapons, it's just very consistently solid. They don't make a lot of mistakes. I liked seeing more of Jameer Gibbs with Montgomery out. I thought that he was solid in this game. I think that Sam Laporta is awesome. I thought that was a great pickup, and he has another really strong game. So they're 2-1 and one right now, and they haven't had a game where it's like, oh my God, the Lions played so well. And that's generally a pretty good reflection. Like, it doesn't feel at all like they're punching above their weight. This offense hasn't even lived up to last year's expectations, and I do think their personnel is better there with the addition of Gibbs. So I like the Lions, and I thought that this was a good win for them. Let's talk about a team that uh, did not have a good win today, Logan, that in fact had a very, very bad loss, and that is the Dallas Cowboys, who really were consistently outplayed by the Arizona Cardinals, were trailing for basically this entire game. What did you take away from this one? Same old Cowboys. Classic Dallas Cowboys. You knew it was coming. I mean, it just... You think he's Stephen A. It just felt like it was coming, man. My dad texted me. I'll give him a big shout-out on the pod right now. Texted me. Classic trap game. I got the Cardinals beating the Cowboys. I was like, Dad, <laughs> you're tripping. I said, you're wrong, Jimmy. Um, and I threw down the Cowboys in a parlay that I thought was locked. Cowboys left me hanging. Uh, Could have made a little money. Same old Cowboys, man. They need to convert in the red zone. They've struggled. I was locked in on this game. Uh, they were 5 of 10 in the red zone going into this game. They settled for three field goals against the Jets. It's just disappointing. This was not a horrible defensive game from Dallas. That is the formula that Dallas needs to rely on moving forward to win football games. Defense dominates. Offense does enough in this game. You just need the offense to do a little more. Like, this was in their grasp. 13 to 21, they get in the red zone. Mike McCarthy says, hey, screw it. There's a lot of time on the clock. Instead of kicking a field goal and getting this with one possession where we can score a touchdown and take the lead or kick another field goal and cut it, let's kick a field, or let's go for it. They go for it. They don't get it. Dak doesn't convert it. They get back to the red zone immediately. Like, that's what was so frustrating about this game. The Cowboys had no issue moving the football up and down the field. They had no issue mm -hmm. in the second half getting the Cardinals off the field right after they go for it on fourth down they move down oh this time McCarthy wants to kick a field goal they cut it to 16 to 21 by that point Cardinals score a TD on the next drive leaving without 12 and again they had another opportunity to cut this thing close Dak throws a crucial late game interception it's the same old Dallas Cowboys it's Dak not executing in big spots making a crucial mistake it's them not executing in the red zone needing to score and put up points when their defense has played adequately it's Mike McCarthy making another boneheaded decision in crunch time same old Cowboys we crowned them the two-week Super Bowl champion, Dallas Cowboys. <laughs> we had already taken it. We had put it on their head. We said, oh, Cowboys are the best team in football. They're going to go win the Super Bowl, and then they do this. This is why I've said it through two weeks. They need to show it to me. They need to do it in the playoffs. They need to do it against bad teams. What I say about all those other teams, Carson, the Chiefs, the Bills, the Dolphins, good teams handle business. They don't play away. Uh, they don't play with their food. And it felt like the Cowboys sleepwalked into this one. They played with their food from the jump, and they let the Cardinals dog them. That's not what's supposed to happen to legitimate contenders, and that is why everybody's so scared of picking the Cowboys to do anything in the playoffs because they do stuff like this in the regular season. 
Same old Cowboys. They cannot do it in big spots. They needed to just execute in big spots and not make mistakes in this one. And they blow it. Um, Cowboys need to show it to me, Carson. I'm disappointed. It just feels like the same old boys, man. I want to believe. There's so much talent here. I like Mike McCarthy as a leader of a locker room, but he's consistently shown that he can't make good decisions on the football field. And the offense has shown me they can't execute. I'm frankly disappointed, man. I want to believe in the Cowboys, but they show me reasons why not to every single week. Yeah, I will say I do think the defense deserves some blame in this game because the dominant shutdown defense, the unfathomably great pass rush that we saw in the first two weeks just was not there in this one. Yes, they did batten down the hitch, the hatches in the second half, but they still let up 21 first half points to the Arizona Cardinals. I thought that they could not stop the run. I did not think that they were able to really make Josh Dobbs uncomfortable in this game. It was just a pretty efficient, composed performance from a Cardinals offense that you would think the Cowboys would be able to rattle given what they had done in the first two weeks to limited offenses. So I do think the Cardinals deserve some props there because this is not a pushover team whatsoever. And the talent on paper is underwhelming to say the least, but Josh Dobbs, we were talking about as one of the worst day one starters in years since Deshaun Kaiser. And I just think that that was disrespectful to what he has done so far. Like, of course, he's not good, but he doesn't make mistakes. He really doesn't. He's smart with the football. He's very effective on the ground. He's a good athlete. And I thought that we saw some of the Cardinals' weapons pop in this game. Rondale Moore in space. You feel his elite speed in this one. And defensively, I think that they've had a lot of solid moments. And the first half Cardinals have been great. And honestly, that's what I expected in this game. I thought, all right, we're going to see the first half Cardinals play well, and then we're going to see them let up in this one because that's what happened in the first two weeks. But we saw them make Sam Howell uncomfortable for some turnovers in week one. We saw a good first half and then a pretty bad second half from them in week two. But I thought that they played really hard. And I think that they have through three weeks. I thought that they came up big in the red zone, as you mentioned. Part of that is the Cowboys' issues, but the Cardinals were clutch defensively as well. I do think that they're solid in terms of taking the ball away and generating those big plays defensively. So uh, this is a respectable Cardinals team. And this is not cause for the Cowboys to panic, in my opinion. Like, I have them below the Eagles and the Niners as the top two contenders in the NFC. I still think their talent level puts the Cowboys pretty clearly above everybody else. They still ran the ball really well in this one. I do want to see Dak play better. I thought that his red zone pick was terrible. I think that he has just been a bit out of sync through three weeks. And I want to see him reach that solidly top 10 level so that this can be the truly complete offense that we know it is capable of, that they have the ceiling for. It's really been about their defense so far this year, their utter dominance. And the defense wasn't at that same level today, but I still think it's a top two pass rush in football. I still think it's a top 10 offense that's very balanced. I still think it's a really good football team. This is a disappointing loss, but I also want to give some props to Arizona because I don't think they're the worst team in football. I mean, with what we've seen from the Chicago Bears, good God. Bears are gunning for the number one pick in back-to-back years, which is a rare accomplishment. But the Cardinals are not that team. I think that they're better coached. I think that maybe we owe an apology for Jonathan Gannon. I think maybe he's got the fellas riding the bus, and he's got some dogs. He's got killers, which is what he asked for. And uh, they deserve some credit for that. 
I mean, I still think Jonathan Gannon's a bit of a goober, but, I mean, shout-out to what they've done on the field, man. The defense yeah. has looked great through three weeks. And, again, it hasn't been super consistent, but I've liked what they've shown. And, again, they've had pop outside of the first half. I do want to give credit. You talk about the Cardinals scoring points, 21 in the first half. Big shout-out to Matt Prater. The Arizona Cardinals do not win this yeah. game without him, man. He booted a really deep one before the half. He booted another long one in the first half. That swings the game, dude. I mean, that's a yeah. big swing right there, and Prater was immaculate. I do owe the Cardinals an apology. I don't think they're the worst team in football. I think that they're going to be competitive week to week. This is not a team that you can roll over on. And I think I think that's what we've seen through three weeks, Carson. I think that all three teams that they have played have walked in there and thought, pushover, or we're going to run the Cardinals today. I think that's mm -hmm. how the Cowboys walked into this game, and I think it's why it happened. I am with you. I think the Cowboys are wholehearted contenders I just want them to execute better, and I want them to show me that they can execute better because yeah. I know this team's better than they showed in this game, uh, 100%. They just have their track record. They are number three for me, though, and deservedly so after you lost to the cards, man. Come on, Dallas. Yeah. Shout-out to James Conner, though, one last guy for Arizona who's been playing really well through three weeks this year. Anything else that you want to mention from today's slate, Logan, before we – Head on out of here. Chicago Bears can be the first team to do it since uh, Jacksonville. Oh second team to do it since the Browns in the early 2000s. That is a complete and utter disaster, Carson. Uh, I pray for all the people on that team. Yeah, well, we've talked about it. We did our whole blame pie, who's most to blame for their disaster, but it's everything, man. I mean, the defensive signings have been completely ineffective. Justin Fields is so unrefined as a thrower of the football and the chiefs are obviously great. I think their defenses looked really good through three weeks and they were able to get an offensive rhythm going that we hadn't seen through the first two weeks in this one, a really dominant performance, but the bears are also pretty awful. We also, I will say saw another underwhelming to say the least offensive performance from the Pats just lacking in dynamism, lacking in offensive creativity, lacking in high-end quarterback talent, all the things that we've seen. But they just give teams chances to get back into games because they can't finish them with good offense, with clutch offense, with execution there. And uh, the Jets are completely done for because Zach Wilson is horrible. He's not a top 50 quarterback in football. I know that last week a lot of people wanted to give him the cop-out because the line got eaten alive, and the line did get eaten alive. But he also sucked. He made really bad decisions. Made some plays with his legs. But he's so inaccurate. He's so prone to mistakes. And this offense, they also haven't been able to run the ball the last couple weeks, which they were able to do against the Bills. And they had the one really explosive play from Brees Hall. But it's just a terrible, terrible offense without Aaron Rodgers. And no level of defensive strength can make up for that. So there you go. Touched on every game now, except for Panthers-Seahawks. Seahawks offense, very good. That's going to do it for us here today, guys. This is a fun week of football, and we appreciate you guys watching along with us. If you enjoyed, then you can always find more Nerd Sesh content. Subscribe to the YouTube page, the Volumes YouTube page, if you want our full shows with video. You can also listen to the podcast across audio platforms. You can follow us on Instagram and TikTok at Nerd Sesh. See clips from the show. See our trivia content. You can also follow us on Twitter at Nerd underscore Sesh. And you can find our merch. We've got some new stuff. Logan's wearing the Nerd Sesh hat. We've got flags behind us. We've got shirts, we've got hoodies, and we've got a new Let's Play Today's Hoop Grid shirt that you can check out at thevolume.com 
or through the link tree in our bio on any of our social media accounts. You can also find our cameo there and you can join our discord if you want to talk sports and be part of our community. So with that, as always, appreciate you guys. I've been Carson Brabber. I have been Logan Camden. And this was Nerd Sesh. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. With the new Dexcom G7, you can achieve better diabetes results without painful finger sticks. It sends your glucose numbers to your compatible phone or watch so you can always see where you are and where you're heading. See how food and exercise affects your glucose, making it easier to spend more time in range and lower your A1C. Take more control of your diabetes with the number one recommended CGM brand. It's easy to get started today at Dexcom.com. That's Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. Give your glucose alerts and readings from the G7. Do not match symptoms or expectations. Use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com slash compatibility.